I know there's this view that you can't beat the market, you can't pick stocks, and I just don't agree with that. Today on Your Money, Your Wealth, from successful stock picking to retiring at age 30, Rob Berger spills some of the secrets he's learned in his 10 years hosting the Dough Roller Money podcast. Joe and Big Al will tell you what to do with your portfolio in the face of market volatility caused by President Trump's potential tax cuts, health care plan, and proposed budget. And they'll cover five fatal error-type inherited IRA mistakes, the merits of Star Wars merch, Johnny Depp's compulsive spending habits, and how joining a nudist colony may help your wallet. No, I'm not kidding. Now hold on to your earbuds because here are Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA. We had a little volatility in the markets this week, Alan. We did. Wednesday, the day that uh, the market went down quite a bit, and Thursday uh, came back up, and Friday again. So there you go. You know, so it's always about uncertainty, you know? Right. It's like, all right, well, I guess what's priced in now is, you know, potential tax cuts. Yes, potential tax cuts. Maybe we change the health care. Maybe we get some of Trump's initiatives through that help businesses become more profitable. So, yeah, that's it's kind of funny how stocks are priced. And I guess if you look at the market as a whole, it almost kind of handicaps what it thinks the future is going to be. And when it looks more like we might get some of these Trump policies, it goes up. When it looks less like, which kind of seemed on Wednesday, the market goes down again. Yeah. And then Thursday was up a little bit. And yeah. Friday was up, I don't know, another 150 yeah, points. Yeah, Friday or was like up that. a fair amount. Yeah. So, uh, but as, as, so just, just the nature of all this, let's just say, just for, just for grins, let's say Trump gets his tax policy approved and in, in, which means that there, we're going to, many of us are going to be paying lower taxes. Corporations are going to be paying lower taxes. There'll be more corporate profits, meaning more profits to distribute to owners, shareholders, stockholders of corporations. And so therefore the valuations of the companies will go up. Our stock prices will, will go up. As we get closer to that seem, seeming like it's going to happen, then the stock market goes up. And, and actually the day it happens, probably the day before, we were pretty sure it's going to happen. So it may not even change that it, yeah, much. Yeah, right. Exactly. That's a really good point. And because it's already priced in before. It's, it's I mean, priced they, in. They, they, they'll sign the bill on whatever day, but the, the, the market might not move an inch. It might, it might drop. R- right. Yeah, because exactly. God, I, th- I thought he'd sign it at 8 and he'd take it until 4.30. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure, <laughs> sure. Now, I mean, that's the same with companies. If um, Facebook's IPO and um, or, you know, a better example would be, I still remember this when the iPhone 6 came out. Right. That's good. Yeah. Right. And because it's a, you know, it was a new right. um, you know, design. New, and, kind of new generation over the five and was going to do more stuff. Right. And so we would get calls and it would be like, you know, hey, Joe. I want to buy. Um, let's 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 buy a bunch of Apple. Like the day before yeah. the iPhone six is going to come out. Right, right. And I was like, well, why? Well, the iPhone six is going to come out tomorrow. So we should get in today. And I was like, well, do you think you and I are the only ones that know this? <laughs> right. There's people sleeping outside of the Apple store as we speak. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's already you know. Then of course you know Apple has record sales of iPhones the next day, and the market didn't move that much at all because no, it was everyone, already priced in. Everyone already expected that. Right. Right. And that's the, that's the the mystery out of stock pricing that I don't people appreciate enough because they they always feel like oh I've got this tip 
from right. my neighbor or or man the, the the smart guy in finance he's always he's given me the good stock tips and right. it's like well it's the same information that everyone else has and as a, in accordance with that the stock price is already fairly reflected based upon the collective wisdom of everybody right and it's a lot different in my opinion today than what it was maybe 20 30 years ago I agree with that why don't you explain that because I think that kind of drives home the point because I think we've all heard of you know stories of getting the stock tips you've seen movies of people getting the stock tip you know right. um, blue horseshoe says something well, what was that wall street right wasn't it blue horseshoe uh, i don't know something like that yeah, but think uh, that. i'm thinking i'm thinking of especially movies that are in black and white there was like you know you got the stock tip and and three days later you you were a millionaire, millionaire right? right which back then was like 10 million <laughs> yeah <laughs> So when you look at it then, the information wasn't as readily available as it is today. And there wasn't as many analysts. There wasn't, I mean, I would say 30 years ago, there probably wasn't um, like a PhD in finance. You know, so the Wall Street, you know, gurus, mine had a, a, you know, a a bachelor's degree in liberal arts because there was no such thing. Right. And the information and education over the last 30 years is pretty remarkable. Right. And there's a lot more smart people looking at this and they all have the same and they're playing with the same information that's basically controlling the prices to make sure that it's fair in a sense. Um, I'm not saying that there's not mispricings in the overall markets where all of these analysts that are looking at these you know stocks every second of every day, you know, is there mistakes? Of course, we're all human, right? But for us to capitalize on these mispricings is something completely different. Yeah, and I think another way to say this is you can buy a stock and make a fortune within a few months, but it's because something happened to that company that wasn't expected. Yes, it wasn't right? known it wasn't when you was, purchased wasn't it. known when you purchased it, and it, that that's what we're saying is is like if you think you're smarter than everybody today, as a, but all the information is already known, especially with the internet, everyone knows everything now. Right, and so it's all right. Well, here I I I, I work in this industry, I understand this industry, and then so we get some of that, and so well, no, I know that this company is strong. Well, yeah, well, so does everyone else. If right. you know it's strong, if you th- th- there's other people that probably have that same opinion. Right, and it's like I say, it's already handicapped into the price. So so. Maybe maybe everyone thinks it's strong, but there's some doubt, and there's some doubt, and so therefore the stock price isn't fully there until again until you get closer to the event that creates the value. Right, and so expect to see a lot more volatility in the overall markets because there's a ton that is kind of waffling. It's a little bit unknown, and um, I think when you look at you know there's a lot of fear and greed out there. Um, and especially when you talk politics, because, you know, people are either so far right or so far left, it seems like. And now we're getting a, a, a bigger group of people that is somewhere in the middle. Yeah. But the statistics show if, if your party is running, is the president, you know, you're much more bullish versus if... If my party was not in office, right, sure. I'm a lot more bearish. Right. Right. And so, and which is not necessarily a good or bad thing. It's just reality. It, yeah, it's just reality because you have a certain perception on what's going on in the world and the markets and things like that. Our view is that you should be fully invested all the time, but making sure that you're diversified, right? Yes, you're going to see volatility, but you can't make rash decisions today based on what you think is going to happen in the next two, three, six months, a year, you know, because we don't know what's going to happen. We can guess, we can speculate on what's going to happen. And I think that's what a lot of people potentially do. I mean, you could say, all right, well, I think this is going to happen. You don't know for sure that it's going to happen. So you might place a bet on that. 
Well, that's gambling in a sense. It's not sure. necessarily investing. So, you know, you, you might want to take a small portion of your portfolio and do that. But I think overall, most people might get a little bit hurt when, when they start, you know, acting via emotion. Well, you're right, Joe. And, and, and we know that <laughs> investing by emotion is uh, generally a mistake because your emotions will play tricks on you. The, the times when you want to buy emotionally is when the market is skyrocketing, which is, means the market's already high. High. And the times when you want to sell is when the market's crashing. So you're buying high, selling low, and you're repeating that process over and over again. And it's when you think about it, it's like there's got to be a better way. And that's why we talk about staying invested, having a disciplined approach, rebalancing, which means as certain asset classes do better than others, sell a little bit of the gains in the asset classes that does better, buy the ones that have done less well, rebalance back to what you want to be at, and you constantly have a system that that forces you to sell high and buy low. It's been three decades since the last major tax reform, but this could be about to change in a major way. That said, the president and the Republican Party are still divided on a number of key policy questions. Visit the White Papers section of the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com to download the White Paper Tax Reform, Trump versus the House GOP, for a deeper look into the proposals. How might income tax, estate tax, and business tax change? Are your tax strategies at risk? Download the Tax Reform White Paper to find out more. Visit the white paper section of the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Alan, it's that time of the show. Yeah, and I can't wait. We, we've got a great guest. Uh, I guess he's uh, he he's, has a podcast, The Dough Roller, and I don't think that means cookies. No, it does not, Alan. It means finance. Finance, money. Now, I'm a huge. Uh, this is like ten years. I think Rob Berger's been doing this, and um, I've uh, been a subscriber uh, for quite some time. Great information, and so I'm really excited uh, to have Rob on. Rob, hey, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Hey, I find your personal story fascinating. Um, tell us a little bit about that, and, and what was the genesis behind you putting together the dough roller? Yeah. So my wife and I and our kids live outside of Washington, D.C. I practiced law in D.C. for 25 years, and I retired last year. Uh, but 10 years ago, I was kind of bored with the practice of law. Uh, it's not nearly as exciting as you know what you see on TV. And um, my wife said, well, why don't you get a hobby? And I was, you know, I didn't know what that meant. Uh, I was surfing the net, and I came across the first blog, you know, the first website that I sort of identified as a blog. Uh, it was actually 10 years ago this month. And I thought, that's what I want to do, and I want to blog about personal finance and investing. And so, you know, I just started writing. Uh, no one was reading it. I don't even think my mom read the blog. <laughs> I mean, no one was reading it. And you fast forward 10 years, and now I've got a team of about 12 people that help me. And, I, you know, I have a podcast, a newsletter, write for Forbes. Um, so, yeah, it kind of turned, turned from a hobby to like a, a business, to a career, to a calling, I guess. Well, so I you, quit the practice of law last year, and that, that this is what I do now full time. So you're practicing law. So ten years ago, why personal finance? I mean, there's a, I guess a thousand other more interesting things to to probably blog about. I mean, did you always have kind of an inkling, or was there a personal experience that says, you know what, I want to help people do better with their money? Well, I always had a love hate relationship with money, particularly as a kid, just because of financial struggles that you know my parents went through. And then, you know, when I'm a grown-up or trying to act like one anyway, I thought, well, I, I, need to, I need to figure this out. And so I managed the finances in our home. I managed our investments. And I enjoyed doing it. I mean, most a lot of people hate it or don't even want to think about it. But for some strange reason, I enjoy it. 
And so that, and it just kind of made sense. And, and that's, you know, thought I'd put the, the, those two things together and, and turned it into a blog. So uh, why don't we get into some content here? So in terms of, uh, I know you help people of all ages, so why don't we maybe go through the gamut? Why don't we start with uh, kids? How, what, what kind of tips would you give to children? Well, it's, it's, that's a great question. And it kind of depends on the age. I mean, most of the children, uh, I guess I guess teenagers that I talk to, and in fact, I was just talking to my, my nephew the other day. He's in high school, and he wants to open up an investment account. You know, he's got some money. He works, not a lot, but you know, you know, he's a high school kid. And um, I've helped a lot of high schoolers open up their first investment account. And I try to explain to them, you know, some basics. Uh, you know, what's an index fund, for example, and, and how do you figure out how much an investment costs, and why do fees matter, and what's the difference between a stock and a bond, or stock fund and a bond fund? And they they get all that. You know, we can walk through it. And I've helped them open up accounts at Betterment or Wealthfront. Uh, which is usually what the high school kids do. They don't have enough maybe to invest in a uh, maybe a Vanguard because of the minimum requirements or whatever. And uh, so I spend a lot of time talking to high school kids about investing. You know, and I show them how if you start young, uh, even if you're not investing a lot of money each month, man, you're given enough time and it's going to turn into a mountain of, of money. Yeah, I, I think that's great because you know that we know that the kids don't really get this in, in in traditional education, and I think the earlier the better. Now, how about like twenties and thirties? You're starting your career. What what might you tell for that age group? The biggest question I get from that age group is trying to figure out that what their financial priorities should be, because you know a lot of them are paying off school loans. Maybe they have credit card debt. Uh, they want to save for house. They want to save for retirement, and they don't know how to tackle all of those things at one time. And the, probably the biggest question I get is, should I pay off all of my debt before I start investing? And I know there are some out there, maybe, I don't know what your views are on that, but there are some that will say you should absolutely pay off all your, your non-mortgage debt anyway before you invest. And I think that is a huge blunder. Um, right. And I, I discourage that. Um, uh, obviously, dealing with your debt's important, but I think folks ought to be investing today. Right. You're probably talk, um, talking about Dave Ramsey. And, and I, I think, well, I, I didn't want to mention it. <laughs> it's okay. It's all right. I didn't want to mention any names. I mean, I, I'm a, a huge fan of Dave's. In fact, yeah, I, you know, I am... listening to Dave's well, listen to, I listened to Dave's show, uh, let's see here, 12 years ago. I actually wrote this down on a piece of paper. It was in 2005. And all his guests were screaming, I'm debt-free, and it really kind of annoyed me. And I said, okay, that's it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be debt-free in seven years. Everything gone. Right. And I've still got that piece of paper. It took me 10 years, but I yes. got it done. You got, so I'm a huge fan of Dave Ramsey, but we don't yeah. see eye to eye on everything. Yeah, I, I am too. And, and just, just to follow up, I, I think it's kind of good that he scares the younger generation into getting into debt, but there's really more to it than just yeah. that. Well, yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I think the problem is, is that all right? If you just if you don't have any type of you know cash reserves or liquid assets, and you're just putting every last dollar down on debt, you know, then you pay off the credit card, and then guess what? Something else happens, and you have no cash reserves or no other investments to fall back on, and so now you're back yeah. into credit card debt. It's yeah, just you, that never ending cycle. Yeah, you get into your forties, fifties, and then you got nothing, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, if you're are you giving up an employee match on a four hundred one k to pay down debt? And even if you don't have a match, you know, 401ks and IRA contributions, you either make them in a given year or you lose them forever. You can't go back three years and say, oh, I want to I want to fund my IRA from 2014. You can't do that. So, you know, you're losing a lot of opportunities for some really good save, uh, saving and investing if you just focus on one financial priority. 
Yeah, that like makes that. sense. Now, what what about forties, fifties, sixties? Kind of your your saving years, or hopefully your saving years. What uh, what would be the advice there? Yeah. Actually, the biggest question I get from those that age group about investing is, how do I stick to my investment plan when the market goes down fifty percent, or or for heck, if it goes down twenty percent? Right. Um, that that seems to be the thing that scares the most people, and so I try to you know, try to work with them on how they can stick to their investment plan. Uh, even if we go through another 2008, 2009, which we will, we definitely will. We just don't know when that will happen. Yeah. That's probably the biggest question I get from, from folks. Is yeah. How do they stick to their investment plan? Yeah. Cause the tendency, the market drops and it's like, well, investing doesn't work. So I'm not going to do it for a while. And that's the, and the irony, the tragic irony is that's usually the best time to invest. Um, when people are pulling out, I guess we could talk for an hour about different investment philosophies. What, what would you? What, what is your investment philosophy, and how would you help you know our listeners in regards to maybe looking at investments and constructing that portfolio? Right. So my my primary investment philosophy is a low cost index fund approach. The vast majority of our retirement funds are in. In, in our case, they're in Vanguard. I mean, there are other great index fund providers, but uh, at Vanguard, and it's a total of six funds, you know, U.S. foreign, emerging markets, REITs, uh, small cap value, and I think I'm missing one, but, um, oh, and, and the bond fund. And, and it's, so it's very simple, very easy to rebalance. It's, you know, I think you can get too hung up on the precise asset allocation. There's plenty of good ones. I mean, heck, even a target date retirement fund. Uh, can be a great a great way to go. That's the majority of our approach. I do own individual stocks, which seems to be totally contrary to what I just said. Um, but I think uh, I think I can handle the ups and downs. At least so far, I've been able to. And I actually think it gives me a. Ironically, owning a few stocks gives me pretty good diversity. Um, and then I, we own some real estate, so we diversify that way. Um, and we keep our debt really low. Well, we don't have any debt now. Um, which I think is critical. You know, you talk about how to stay in the market when it when it goes south. One way is to have all your other finances in good order. Uh, but if you're up to your eyebrows in debt and, and you're trying to make it up with a, a equity rich portfolio, when the market's down 40, 50 percent, it's going to be really hard to stick to that kind of allocation. Yeah, I was at a conference um, and Gene Fama was speaking. Are you familiar with Gene? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And so. Um, someone asked him, it was like, have you ever purchased an individual stock in your life? And so he pauses, kind of looks down. He goes, yes, along with 2,000 others. <laughs> That's a good answer. <laughs> so, uh, well, yes. I, I, know there's, I, know the Feldman, I know there's this view that you can't beat the market. You can't you, know, you pick stocks. And, and I just don't, I don't, I don't agree with that. But I do believe that most people will fail at it. Uh, and, you know, maybe I can be back on the show in 20 years and I can tell you whether I failed at it. <laughs> uh, well, no, uh, I no, think for I, most people, you should stay away from it. Well, yeah, but I, I think if you have a level of sophistication within your overall allocation, I, I think it's I- extremely probable uh, to beat the broad market index, in a sense, and, and it sounds like your portfolio, you're doing just that, of having a little bit of small value in there, a little bit of emerging markets, because, you know, we look at portfolios daily, and I would say that most individuals take too much risks in their fixed income or bonds, and not
not necessarily the right or um, the not enough risk um, in their stock portfolio. And right, if right. they could allocate that appropriately, I think they would achieve a lot better success uh, with, with with less volatility. Yeah, yeah, and and, and you know, what probably one of the riskiest investments you can make today is a thirty year bond. Um, you know, uh, and 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 the other thing is, for me, individual stocks only make up right now about ten percent of the portfolio, so it's not a huge exposure. What are you writing about on uh, the dough roller? What's going on on um, on your blog? Well, uh, got a great team of writers um, with a, a variety of backgrounds, which is you know on, on purpose, and th- they cover everything you know uh, that, that can affect our money. Uh, we talk a lot about getting out of debt. We talk a lot about investing, uh, and, and then we try to give practical tips how to make you know how to leverage your retirement accounts. You know how to use an HSA for retirement, for example, or how to do a backdoor Roth if your income excludes uh, opening up a Roth IRA directly. Um, we talk a lot about early retirement. Since I retired early, it seemed like something to talk about, so we cover that a lot. And We also interview a lot of folks who have retired in the 30s and 40s, which some of these stories are just insane, um, but a lot of fun. So a little bit of everything. Nobody knows what's ahead for investors, but Larry Swedro's book, Playing the Winner's Game, Think, Act, and Invest Like Warren Buffett, offers bedrock investing principles that can help you profit in today's shaky markets. Right now, it's available for free to Your Money, Your Wealth listeners. Just click Special Offer at YourMoneyYourWealth.com to get yours. Learn how to think like Warren Buffett and build a well-designed portfolio based on solid evidence and your highest interests. Playing the Winner's Game, Think, Act, and Invest Like Warren Buffett by Larry Swedrow with a forward by Joe Anderson CFP and Big Al Clopine CPA. Click special offer at yourmoneyyourwealth.com to get your free copy. Retiring in your 30s or 40s. I'm 40. There's, I'm like, there's no... You're already behind. <laughs> you're, 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 you're over the hill. You're yeah. missed it. <laughs> yeah, I know. That. I'm ex- what, well, what, what, how do they do it? What are, what are they doing? Well, are you familiar with Mr. Money Mustache? Oh, sure. Yeah, you yeah. got to live off so of like five it. cents a, a month. <laughs> That's one well, way to do it. <laughs> yeah, Pete, Pete's, Pete's, Pete's a good guy, and I've had him on my show, and I've met him, and um, you know, he retired at thirty. I mean, I think you know, when when people set out to save, let's say fifty percent of their income, if you're like me, that just sounds insane. Uh, but the reality is, if you you know, if you if you look around your home, uh, you know, and the things that we spend money on for a variety of reasons, you think it's going to make us happy, whatever. Probably not so much. I mean, there's certainly needs, but I think the people that have retired early have—they know exactly what they want and and what will make them content. And it usually doesn't involve spending a lot of money. So they're okay driving a, around in a car that a lot of people wouldn't be caught dead in. They don't care. They're quite content with that. They don't need the new car, um, and they don't need to upgrade to the McMansion or whatever. They're very comfortable in their home. And they, you know, they love cooking at home. They don't want to go out to eat. They don't, they don't enjoy it. They enjoy cooking good food at home. And, you know, uh, I know it's a little harder than what I've just said, but it, it, at the end of the day, that's what they do. And they're able to save. I mean, at one point, Mr. Money Mustache was saving 70% of his income. And uh, so, you know, he wasn't living on much, and it didn't take him long to save enough to, to call it quits. And he retired at 30. You know, but that's such a good point. I mean, I think we get caught up on this show. 
um, in our everyday lives, um, being you know uh, certified financial planners, is looking at you know the investments and the allocation and you know tax savings and everything. It means nothing if you're not saving any money. You know, it's it, yeah, that is right. the driving force. That's what people can control is just to save money. And the the markets are going to do what the markets are going to do. It doesn't matter. You just keep plugging away and save that money. Then you're going to achieve that 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 financial success. Absolutely key. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, I, I was just thinking when you said if you look around your house, how many bad purchases? <laughs> oh my God! What do you got? You got quite a few. Oh, I got. Uh, I mean, I have really, really bad purchases. <laughs> I have a replica Darth Vader mask that I probably spent five hundred bucks on. It, I'm like, what the hell am I doing here? This right. is the stupidest thing I've now, ever wait a purchased. Minute. That that's that's pretty sweet. Hey. Now. I would not get rid of that. No, Do you ever go to a, an estate sale? I, I tend to go to them. I don't buy anything typically, but I go to estate sales, and you walk through someone's house and you just look at all of the stuff that they've accumulated over a lifetime. And I, you know, I, then I go back and look at my house and think, oh. Someday, when I'm long gone, they're going to have an estate sale, and all my crap's going to be, you know, out for everyone to see. And it's just a ton of junk. Right. Yeah, I'm going to be fairly embarrassed. I got a stormtrooper mask too, Rob. You you can come over, and then we'll just now you're just now you're just showing off. (laughs) Then we can walk around their neighborhood. He uh, he brings that up every show. (laughs) He loves that thing. Now, are you guys are you guys old enough? I, I I saw the original Star Wars in the theater with my father. Yeah, I, I'm old enough. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I was, I, I'm older than you are. Joe's younger. Okay, yes, I, I was. I was there. I was, um, but I was a little kid. When was that? 1979. 78. Yeah. Uh, I want to say I would say 78, but it it, it was not 80. Uh, yeah, yeah, somewhere there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, I saw it. In I the, was 12. That that was the time when people were were seeing it 15 times, and then they were bragging about it. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's like how many times you can ride the roller coaster. Right. It was the same thing. Yeah. Out the movie theater, right back in. <laughs> well, I, if that thing's on TV, like on TBS, boom, forget yeah. about it. Um, yes. Well, yeah. what, what, did, well, what did you think of the last one? I loved it. Which what Rogue One? Did you? Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was what you didn't care for it. It was okay. I don't know. The whole, the dish isn't quite angled in the right direction. Let's crawl out onto the thing. and pick. I don't know. It just seemed a little goofy to me. Well, I, I like the backstory of it. You know, you kind of get yeah, in the, yeah. the meat of, of what's going on. And I got goosebumps with Darth Vader at the end of this. They would like, you know, just blasted people. I thought it was pretty intense. It, it did. The, the very, very end of it was quite good, I thought. But, yeah, um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. The last, what, 10 minutes. You, you just got to sit through yeah. some backstory. Yeah. Well, I think what Rob is saying, and I, and I sort of get it. I mean, when you saw the original in the theater, nothing's going to match that. That's part of the problem. They're they're trying their best. <laughs> I mean, it's a lot better than Jar Jar Binks or whatever those were. Well, yeah, that's true. I agree with that. <laughs> Although he was kind of funny. And it was also a lot. It was it was it was head and shoulders above Fate of the Furious, so it's got that going for him. Right, <laughs> right, right. Uh, well, I guess note to self: bad purchases. <laughs> <laughs> you need to save seventy percent of your income, Joe. That's the key. I, you know what? Yes. Then I walk Tomorrow, by and stop spending. The, the, you know, I'm I'm walking downtown San Diego. You look at this little shop, 
and then I bought a, a replica Darth Vader mask in a Bruce Lee doll. So if you if you come into the office next Monday with an old beat up car, I'll know you've taken this yes, to heart. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm Mr. <laughs> Mr. Money Mustache. Yeah. Watch out, brother. Yeah, you'll be starting your mustache too, right? <laughs> yes. If I can grow one, I'm 40. I shave like once a month. Right. Oh, Rob. Hey, I I appreciate your time. Um, uh, and sorry for, you, you know, it took us like a month just to get a hold of I'm calling his wife. I'm right. like, hey, where's Rob? You're calling and his house? Yeah, I'm calling Where his house. He? He's got like 15 <laughs> weird messages from a guy with a Darth Vader mask on. Right. <laughs> yeah. we, had to, we had to change our number twice. Right. No, yeah. I know, right? It's amazing. Right. Yeah, it was guy. weird. Yeah. After 25 calls, all of a sudden it was disconnected. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry I was so hard to reach. Normally it's not too bad. Uh well, hey, I um, appreciate your time, and, and thank you so much. Uh, where can people come and find you? Doorroller.net. Uh, that's the place to find me. We have a great Facebook group, by the way, doorroller.net slash Facebook group. It's like 2,500 people and um, sharing stories and, and tips and stuff. It's really good. That's Rob Berger, folks. we got to take a short break. We'll be right back. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Can your portfolio stand up to a stress test? Find out. Visit YourMoneyYourWealth.com and sign up for a free financial assessment with a certified financial planner who will stress test your portfolio. Are you on track for retirement? How much money will you need in retirement? How much income can you get from your portfolio? What social security strategies are available to you? Are your investments aligned with your goals? Stress test your portfolio. Sign up for a free two-meeting assessment with a certified financial planner at YourMoneyYourWealth.com. Time now for Big Al's List. Every week, Big Al Clopine scours the media to find the best tips, do's and don'ts, mistakes, myths, and advice to improve your overall financial picture in handy bullet point format. This week, five costly inherited IRA mistakes. This is by our friend Ed Slott, and he, his first sentence of this article, it says, inherited individual retirement account mistakes are expensive and often fatal, meaning that they cannot be fixed like some other IRA mistakes can. And I, I, and it's happening more and more often. I mean, IRAs haven't been around that long, but now people are starting to inherit them, and they're starting to make lots of mistakes, which causes, once you make a mistake, it causes a lot of taxation, and it can't be fixed. Well, you look at what? The oldest the, the, the oldest baby boomers now are turning 70 and a half. Correct. Uh-huh. And what, $24 trillion are in retirement accounts, roughly. Right. And a majority of those are owned by baby boomers, and as the baby boomer generation is getting a little little bit older, some of them are dying a little bit prematurely sure, with a of lot course. of money in these retirement right, accounts. Right. Versus the greatest generation, they more or less had pension plans, or they might have had a stock portfolio and things like that, because the IRAs weren't really necessary, they, they or in the 401ks, yes. they, they didn't have enough time to build enough assets in Right. Them. We're just starting to see this, Joe. And the very first one is, uh, it's uh, ineligible rollovers. So a non-spouse beneficiary cannot do a direct rollover, meaning that a 60-day rollover uh, where the inherited IRA funds are withdrawn and returned to another IRA in 60 days, you can't do it. So a lot of you know that with your regular, with your IRA, you can pull out the money and use it for any purpose. And then within 60 days, you put it back into the IRA. No harm, no foul. It's like it never happened. Realize you can only do that once per year. But on the other hand, when it comes to inherited IRAs, you're not allowed to do it. And if you do it, it's a taxable distribution. No way to undo it. That's what we call a fatal error. 
non-spouse beneficiaries, you got to be careful with what the heck you're doing there because the rules change and the rules will probably change depending on you know what happens here. But uh, the distributions when you inherit uh, a retirement account, it's completely different than any other asset. And I think we'll see more problems with this. And I know that you got a list, and, the, and I haven't looked you're at to it. Guess what the, they are? No, but <laughs> here's the issue, though. All right, just think of this, Al. Let's say that um, individual dies, and I'm just going to throw out a round number. Million bucks. Okay. They got $500,000 in a retirement account. They got $500,000 in a brokerage account. Okay. It says a million bucks. So the kids inherit it. And then, so maybe they set up everything perfectly. It will say, you know, wh- whatever the name is, deceased on whatever date that he died for the benefit of Junior. And then the other one, right? It's just titled. And so he looks at these accounts. Okay, And maybe they have the same mutual funds in those accounts, the same stocks, the same bonds, the same cash. The allocation looks the same. It's on the same statement. Right. But one has a little bit different title on the top of the statement versus the other. And then they say, you know what? I just inherited a million bucks. So now I'm going to buy X, right? I'm going to buy that yacht. I'm going to buy a new house. I'm going to do whatever. So they take everything out. Well, one account, no tax at all. The other account, they distribute that out. Half gone. Yeah, fully taxable. Fully taxable, and they won't know that until the following year when they get their 1099s. Right, and they got this income that says $500,000 of income that sits on top of their other income, pushing them into probably the highest tax bracket. And Joe, that actually is the second mistake, is incorrect account titling. And just to repeat what you said, this is so important. The account (laughs) needs to be titled, this is the example, John Smith, deceased May 25th, 16, this is the example, IRA, FBO, which is for the benefit of FBO, Tom Smith, beneficiary. I'll read that again. John Smith, deceased, 525-16, IRA, comma, FBO, Tom Smith. It's in a separate account. It cannot be commingled with your IRAs. It has to be a separate account. And p- part of the problem, Joe, is that a lot of institutions um, are not putting that name on the statement. So the, the people that have these accounts are getting confused, thinking, oh, this is my IRA. I can combine it with another IRA. And you can't do that. Right. I mean, we've seen that before, where it's like, well, here, I got this IRA from mom and dad. Well, I don't want to have all these different IRAs. Let's just combine them. Yeah, right. Which it's, That's a normal thing. You, right. You, you think I can do that. Because let's say if I inherited a brokerage account from mom and dad, all right, and then I have a brokerage account, maybe their money's at Smith Bar- Morgan Stanley, right. and my money's at Fidelity. Right. And it's like, well, I don't want to have these two different statements. I just want to consolidate to make it easier on me. Sure. So I take that brokerage account, I put it into my Fidelity account, no big deal. Right. But you do that same thing with an IRA, fully distributed, 100% taxable when you do that. Yeah, that's it's crazy, but that's true. That, that's When you put those together, it, the beneficiary IRA is considered a full distribution. you got to pay taxes on that. Sometimes people, when they get these inherited IRAs, uh, don't realize they cannot contribute to them. So they think, well, I can put $5,500 into my IRA. And uh, once you do that... Excess contribution. That, that Then the entire $300,000 must be distributed and is taxable in that same year. So, well, the example is $300,000 is what the child inherited. They, you know, set it up perfectly. It said, Joe Anderson deceased on whatever date that I died for the benefit of Junior. Junior inherits my $300,000 IRA. And then Junior says, well, I got this IRA. Well, I haven't contributed yet to an IRA. I got Dad's IRA here. So, I'm going to put $5,500 into the IRA. Guess what? 
Boom. Blew it up. $300,000 in, in the inherited IRA must be distributed and is fully taxable. This is a fatal error, Joe. This cannot be changed. The IRS has no authority whatsoever to, to change this. It is what it is. It's a fatal error. Right. So. You're going to probably spend uh, maybe... You, a couple hundred thousand dollars in attorney's fees to get a private letter ruling that's going to still <laughs> and then, do nothing and, and for you. And you're going to still lose. Another one would be delaying required minimum distributions. Because when you inherit an IRA that's that's not from your spouse, so this would be your parents or your brother or sister or whatever, uncle, then uh, you have to start your required minimum distributions in the year after you receive that IRA. That's And the required minimum distribution is based upon your life expectancy. You're 29 years old, let's say you're 30 years old, and let's say your life expectancy at that point is 80, just to make the math really easy. So that's 50 years to go. So roughly 1 50th of the account needs to come out. And when you're 30, 1 50th comes out. When you're 31, and so forth. That's how that works. And the reason the IRS does that is they don't want to wait till you turn 70 and a half because they were expecting to get those tax dollars much earlier. Right. <clears throat> so then they'll, this happens. It's like because all non spouse beneficiaries have to take a required minimum distribution. I think when you hear that term, required minimum distribution, it's like, okay, well, that means when I turn 70 and a half or that, a lot older than you know, 20 or 30. But no, if you inherit an IRA, right, and you need to take that required distribution. Also, let's say if you inherited an IRA from someone that was already taking distributions and then they hadn't fulfilled their distribution yet, that money still has to come out of the account even though that person deceased. When you inherit an IRA, so this is non-spouse, Spouses can commingle their retirement accounts. So if I was married and my wife died, I could take her retirement accounts and put them into my account. If I died, she could take my accounts and put them into her account. When it comes to a non-spouse beneficiary, then it turns into an inherited IRA or a stretch IRA. And where the term stretch IRA comes from is it's stretching the tax liability out over the non-spouse beneficiary's life expectancy. So let's say that, a, like um, in Al's example, if they're 30 years old, they got 50 years left of life or whatever. If they're 35 years old, they probably got 50 years of life. So what's that, 85? Right. And so then it's like, all right, well, you got to take 150th out of the account. They want that account to be depleted. They, want, they don't want you to continue to defer the taxes any more than you need to. So they want to have you take those distributions. A lot of times, the, the non-spouse beneficiaries, the kids or the grandkids or nieces, nephews or whoever, they don't understand the rules, so they don't take those distributions. That's a 50% tax penalty on any distribution that is not made. So it's very important that they understand those rules. So the stretch is just basically stretching out the tax liability over their lifetime. Yeah, that's exactly right, Joe. And here's where the confusion is, is that only uh, designated beneficiaries can do the stretch IRA, meaning that a designated beneficiary is one who's named on the IRA beneficiary form, not the will, not the trust. It's actually named on the IRA beneficiary form. And here's what often happens. People will say uh, for the beneficiary, let's just make it the estate, for example. And when you make it the estate, as then there is no designated beneficiary. 
Now you got to look at to the age of the person that passed away. Right, because if they're over the required beginning date, then you have to follow their RMD schedule. Right. So yeah, let's say you're you're 30, and whoever passed away was 75. Well, it, you you take over that position, right? So you have to keep doing required minimum distributions as if you were a 75 year old. Now, if they were under 70 and a half, then then you have to pay out the whole IRA within five years. So uh, that's a that's a big mistake. It's it's that whole thing about what you sh- what, who you should name as a beneficiary on your IRA or your 401k. And typically, you would want to name your spouse if you're if you're married. And then you, your contingent beneficiary would be your kids. You put their names in it, and you can do several. You got eight kids. You can have eight contingent beneficiaries. If you name your estate, then this is exactly what happens. The the IRA is going to need to be distributed much quicker than otherwise would be or should be, and therefore your beneficiaries are going to have to pay much higher tax up front. Number one, and number two is because more has to come out quickly, they're going to be put into higher tax brackets. Right. You got to take one fifth versus maybe one fiftieth. Right. 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 And so now the non-spouse beneficiary that doesn't inherit, they have full control over the money. So they could take it all out anyway. Oh, sure. Right. And, you, a, lot of, what they and, and a lot of people do that. Right. So it's like, all right, well, here, I got this. So I'll take it out. Then they get blown up in tax. And yeah. they should have just been taking maybe the required distribution. Or if they needed a little bit more, they could take out a little bit more. It's not, they're, they're not required just to take the RMD. They, that's the minimum. That's the minimum. That's a really good point because I think a lot of people, in the past that have inherited IRAs, the balances have been fairly small. And so there wasn't much pain in taking it out. Maybe it was a $10,000 IRA or 20000 whatever the number is. But here's what's happening now. We're seeing the baby boomers that are really the first generation that used IRAs and 401ks. We're starting to see much more accumulation in these accounts. And now these these rules uh, and and things you have to be aware of on inherited IRAs, it's, it's more important now than ever. you, you got to be careful here, too, because this is, I mean, we see this often is, well, I just inherited $300,000 in an IRA from mom and dad. Right. Okay. And then they're like, all right, well, man, I w- wouldn't it be nice to pay off the mortgage? So then they earmark that. And they, yeah, you know, anytime you get an inheritance, let's clean this up. Let's pay off debt. And so they're taking out massive sums out of this these accounts to pay off their mortgage, to pay off credit card debt, to pay off their student loans, to pay off whatever. And then next thing you know, the next April 15th of the following year, wow, I didn't know it was going to be that much in tax. And they don't have assets to pay the tax. But they still have a little bit left in that inherited IRA. So what do they do? They, they have to go back to that inherited IRA to take more money out to pay the tax. That will cause more tax next Which year. Which will cause more tax <laughs> next year. And we've seen these things just blow up just because every year you keep going back to the well to pay the tax on the last money that you pulled out. Even you have to pay tax on the tax money that you pulled out. Right. Anything you pull out, you got to pay taxes on. Right. And Joe, something else that's going on. So, right. so, I mean, some of these inheritances are going to be a nightmare. Right. Right. Something else to be aware of, uh, and that is the last several years of the Obama administration, they've actually wanted to get rid of the stretch IRA. So we don't know that whether that's going to happen or not now under President Trump, but uh, be aware of that. If the stretch IRA, IRA uh, rules go away, that means when you inherit an IRA, you're going to have to distribute the whole thing within a five-year period. Right, and that rule changed 17 years ago, like 2000. Yeah. So prior to that, it was the five-year. You had to 
distribute it was. without five and, years. And of course, the IRA balances were minuscule back then, but now now we're seeing some pretty big ones when you add up 401ks and things like that. So what that simply means, if that goes away, then your kids or grandkids, if you've got big IRA balances or 401k balances, that would likely put them in a very high tax bracket. I mean, just a simple example, you got $2 million and you only have one child, right? So they'd have to take out 400000 a year to, or, or they could wait till year five, but then they got to take out $2 million. Do you think they're in the highest tax bracket? Of course they are, right? So you, all this money that you saved, it's like, it's like half of it's going away to the government. And so then it's like, well, what do you do about that? And, and some people now are, are looking more closely at Roth IRA conversions because once you get the money into a Roth IRA, yeah, it's, it still may have to come out within that five-year period, but when the kids pull it out, they don't pay any tax on it because you've already paid the tax on it. So depending upon your tax brackets, and it takes a little bit of analysis, but it's something that a lot of folks are looking at, even if they don't need the money themselves, they're looking at it for the sake of their kids in anticipation of maybe this rule going away. And you kind of, it's, when you're doing Roth conversions, it's not all or nothing. You want to kind of stair-step, you want to do a little bit this year, a little bit next year. The longer you have to do that, the more you can get out of your IRA to your Roth IRA without pushing yourself into high brackets. Your Money, Your Wealth isn't just a podcast, it's also a TV show. Check out Your Money, Your Wealth on YouTube to see Joe and Big Al talking about planning for retirement over your entire lifespan, investing biases you may not realize you have, social security claiming strategies, and pure financial feud. What is the percentage of social security beneficiaries that are women? Uh, Mike? I'm going to go 45%. That is incorrect. Oh, Joe, you have a guess? I had no idea what the question was. <laughs> Watch clips of the Your Money, Your Wealth TV show. Just search YouTube for Pure Financial Advisors and Your Money, Your Wealth. Joe, I got uh, an article that I thought was kind of interesting. Bloomberg News. This was on May 16th. Why rich retirees are so reluctant to spend their money. And we've seen that too, right? People that have saved a lot of money, they, it's hard for them to all of a sudden turn from being savers to spenders. And here's a couple of little surveys to kind of tell you what we're talking about. The, the um, University of Michigan did a survey. They found out, believe it or not, that the average American over age 60 uh, cuts their spending about 2.5% per year, which I find an interesting stat because... A lot of financial planners say you could probably live on 70% of your income, but the rea reality is, as an average, we're cutting spending only about 2.5%. But <laughs> interestingly enough, now, because of that, and, and, and the wealthy are kind of in that group as well, what's happening is the people dying with the states, they're dying with a lot more money than they used to. And here's another survey, actually same one, University of Michigan. They, they said people that died from 2000 to 2002 compared to those who died in 2010 versus 2012, so 10 years later, the, the latter group, even though it was just after the Great Recession, the financial crisis, they, their estate values were 130% higher than the, than the first group, which indicates, Joe, that people just are not spending. And one more stat I'm going to tell you before we talk about this. Last year, the, the Journal of Financial Planning found out that the wealthiest fifth of the U.S. retirees were spending 53% less than they could have. The poorest 40% were spending more 
than they should have, no surprise there. And the median retiree spent about 8% less than the safe amount. So, and this article sort of went into, well, why is that? Why, 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 to, why do wealthy folks have trouble spending? And they gave a bunch of answers, but to me, they didn't even talk about the most obvious one, which is you're sort of built for saving, right? And, and being frugal, and that's how you amassed a certain savings level. And it's hard to switch that in retirement. Plus, here's another thing, is you, we've been told never to touch the principal. That's, that's a common thing of retirees, and so they don't want to touch the principal, so it keeps on growing because the interest rates and dividend rates are low these days. And so people ending up giving a lot to their kids, which is fine if that's your goal. I guess we're here to say, if that's you, you, you're, you can spend a little bit more. Yeah, they're not going to do it, Al. Because there's a reason why they have those assets, because they freak out, right? There's there's a level of anxiety. That's why they save so much to begin with, right. because they want that sense of security. Sure. Right? And they know they're not getting a paycheck anymore. Right. And it's like, okay, we got to save, we got to save, because just in case something happens, and this happens or whatever, I do not want to be a burden. I want to be responsible and everything else. So they save. And so they amass a nice nest egg. And what did you say? They, they could spend well, 100% more than they're, what they're, they did? Yeah, that's said the other way. They're spending 53% less than they could have, which means they can about double their spending. Right. And still be fine. Of course, because they're savers. Right. It's like, man, I do not want to, um, you know, I would say our the clients that have the most assets sometimes are the ones that are most worried yeah, they're the most, right. They're because the they have rate. a lot more to lose. Yeah, and interestingly enough, and this article talks about it, they do tend to be more pessimistic because it's, they. I think they react more to the news and they've got this nest egg and now it's all about, oh, I got to protect it. I right. can't spend it. I got to protect it. And if you don't have the money, you don't worry about it. You just, you try to do your best. Blow it. <laughs> well, well, we've been doing this our whole entire lives. We'll make it happen. <laughs> you just try to do your best and, and uh you know, the, the other thing, too, is we, we'll talk to some of our clients that have saved a lot, and it's like, you know, they're spending whatever, 60000 a year or 80, whatever the number is, doesn't matter. And it's like, well, you can spend more. And they say, I don't know on what. We have everything we want. Right. And it, it's part of that mindset of they realized, uh, as we talked to Rob Berger, it's happiness comes from the non-financial things, and, and they're happy people in general, and let, until they start talking about their money. Then they get really nervous because they're afraid they're going to lose it. Yeah. I mean, I, it, this whole retirement and everything else, I mean, people will get by what they got. You know, that's just human nature. Yes, right. And so some people are like, all right, well, I know I got this Social Security that's paying my spouse and I 30000 bucks a year, and we've saved fifty grand. Well, let's... Buy a new truck, whatever. Right. right. You know, um, so, but money's not the end all be all. You know, it, what, 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 Al and I know people that have millions that will blow through that yeah. money and we are sure miserable. Do. And then we have, um, you know, we know others that, that don't have a very modest savings and they're the happiest people you ever want to meet. Yeah, there's no question, Joe. And then this is another article that's kind of the other extreme. Uh, it's talking about uh, what do you do when you have Johnny Depp's alleged compulsive buying habits? And, and here's a couple things here. He allegedly uh, bought a village in France. <laughs> he's, he's, he spent, uh, he generally spends about $2 million a month. 
two million a month. Yeah, on monthly bills, and his his uh, his monthly wine bill alone is thirty thousand. Oh, it's <laughs> good stuff. It's got <laughs> and in, in truth, he's not alone. According to the American Journal of Psychiatry, about six percent of Americans are compulsive buyers. Right, and so here's a here's an example, maybe not quite that extreme, but still pretty extreme to most of us. Uh, this is a this is a, an advisor that talked about a, one woman who was racking up about twelve thousand a month shopping for clothes and other things online. And uh, you know what's the traditional advice? Well, we got to put you on the budget and this and that and blah blah blah, which nobody wants to do. So here's what he did that I thought was kind of clever. Brought her to a nudist colony. <laughs> Where clothes weren't important? Yeah. Well, that's out-of-the-box thinking. You could have done that. But here's what he said is, you know what? Keep doing what you're doing, but here's my only rule. You can only buy on Friday. Only buy on Friday. And so she'd go all week, and she'd put stuff in the in the shopping cart. And But by Friday came along, she didn't even want it, so she kept kicking it out. So it saved her five grand a month. Wow. Just that one little thing. There you go. Right, and uh, here's another client that spent too much on dinners, and and he said, you know what? No one likes to do a budget. Let's just let's just just do it once a week. That's that's your allotment once a week. Can you handle that? Yeah, I can handle that. Can I track a budget? Well, I'm not going to, right? And and that's what we hear from so many people. They just, you know, it's it's. I guess it's just being a little bit more creative on this. And and if well, you, we're creatures of habit, right? Right. Right. And so I guess if you're on Amazon every day. Just because you know, you know, buying things make us feel better. Right. You know, that's that's the nature of it. And if we're always miserable, you're spending a lot of money. Right. Right. So you yeah, you, you, you got to change be- some of the habits that you have right. entirely. Right. Right. And so if there's a certain time of the day that you're on the internet, well, then change the time even. Right. It's 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 an interesting concept. I mean, so a financial planner, or maybe even better yet. A CPA like myself would say, all right, let's set up a budget, and then every bill is going to go in this budget, and then you can track and see how you're doing. And Dave Ramsey, he says, pay everything in cash, and you got an envelope system, and, and as soon as the money's out of the, the, the entertainment envelope, you're done for that month, and it kind of forces you. Most people that... I could never, ever, <laughs> ever do that. Most people don't want to do that. Uh, and maybe that's not a bad way to go when you're younger and just trying to learn some of the basics on spending and saving. But uh, the rest of us that have uh, saved a certain amount of money, we don't we don't want to be bound by those restrictions. It's not fun. It's not that fun to live on a budget. But sometimes if you can just think of a few creative things, like you said, <laughs> go to a nudist colony. Huh? Then you don't spend 12000 a you don't month need, on clothes. You don't need clothes. You just need a bathrobe to get in and out of your car from your home, right? Oh, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> get a couple outfits that's and that's about, it. about it, right? right? Or just live there. Yeah, I suppose, yeah. Yeah. Right. Is that what you're going to... That's your retirement dream, isn't it? Well, but then you got to spend a lot more money on sun, sunscreen. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, dermatology appointments for yeah. skin cancer. There you go. I suppose. All right. For Big Al Quilpon, I'm Joe Anderson. Thanks for listening. The show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. We'll see you again next week. So to recap today's show, having a disciplined investing strategy will help you ride out the market volatility caused by fear, greed, and politics. Saving as much as humanly possible will help you reach the goal of retiring early. Putting inherited IRA money in with your own IRA isn't literally fatal, but it may make you want to die when you see your tax bill. And if you buy $500 replica Star Wars masks and Bruce Lee dolls, you may not be Johnny Depp, 
but you might be Joe Anderson. Special thanks to Rob Berger, host of the Dough Roller Money podcast, for being on the show today. Check out his show at doughroller.net. Subscribe to this podcast at yourmoneyyourwealth.com through your favorite podcatcher or on iTunes, where you can also check out our ratings and reviews. And remember, this show is about you. If there's something you'd like to hear on Your Money, Your Wealth, just email info at purefinancial.com. Listen next week for more Your Money, Your Wealth, presented by Pure Financial Advisors. For your free financial assessment, visit purefinancial.com. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. Your Money, Your Wealth opening song Motown Gold by Carl James Pestka is licensed under a Creative Commons license.